At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. And today I've got with me Alex Drummond. Hello, Alex. How are you doing, Stuart? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Now we're now we're here together in and this is what what are we now? We're March 2017. We we first met in September, October 2014. Exactly. At, yeah. New at, Orleans Horror Film Festival. At the Horror Film Festival. And you I guess you're kind of part two of People that I met when I was there coming on the podcast, because um, Simon Herbert, who wrote and directed uh, Savage Land, is a, is a previous guest on the Breakfast Podcast, and we all met at that festival. And you were showing a film called The Shower at that time, but now, now your film has finally got released in the last in the last couple of years or so. It's released in the UK by Grim Entertainment up in Manchester, and it's called LA Contagion. And for anybody, and I know I do have some listeners in the, in the US, the film is Killer Party in America. So, do you want to give the audience a brief description of what LA Contagion is first? Yeah, well, it's a horror comedy about a, a group of friends in Hollywood who get together for a baby shower, and there's a outbreak that starts turning people into homicidal maniacs. So they're trapped at the baby shower, and it's basically, you know, kind of like a lot of L.A. types like me who are, you know, uh, actors, writers, uh, working at restaurants. Um, so they're kind of thrust into this apocalyptic situation then. Okay, and you, you, wrote, you wrote and directed this movie, yeah? I wrote and directed it and edited and everything. Yeah, so all done on my, uh, my iMac here. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, let's start at the beginning then. So, so as far as script writing goes, and, and you've, you've kind of, with the way you give the synopsis, I'm guessing you kind of looked around at the people you knew and the world you lived in and go, how can I make a virtue of this? But, but tell me, you know, how, how did this idea come about? Well, you know, uh, I had been writing spec feature scripts for a while and I come close with a couple things. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, my, my goal and dream was always to write and direct. Um, you know, so I focused for a long time just trying to get the writing at a level where it was professional. And then, uh, you know, once I felt like, you know, come close on some things, you kind of see how, you know, it's, it's important to kind of go out and do something on your own then so that you can, you can get it out there. Uh, so basically, you know, I worked uh, at a restaurant um, you know, for some years with a bunch of people who, you know, are friends and they're kind of uh, all, you know, starting to work as actors and doing, you know, little TV shows and commercials. Uh, so, you know, we just said, like, let's let's do something, you know. And uh, at the same time, like, my wife is an actor. Um, so she was pregnant with our second. And there's always a good impetus around that, that, like, you know, for creativity <laughs> to do something with my life. Uh, so... Um, so, yeah, I just said, you know, like, uh, wrote parts for, for friends. Uh, you know, we were able to um, shoot at another friend's house. And, uh, you know, we kind of did, like, this kind of little ultra-low budget, you know, uh, let's put on a show type production. And 
in terms of um, the, the the scripting of it, then how how long do you, do you remember it taking from sort of from that point where you go, here's my idea, I'm going to form it and outline it to to that that sort of first draft? How long would that process take you? Well, I actually started it. I mean, this it's been such a long journey that it was around March of 2012, so five okay. years. Uh, you know, I kind of said, okay, I need to do something where I'm going to like, we're going to make it. Yeah. Um, you know, so then I started outlining, uh, just like playing with ideas, you know, watching, uh, you know, some contained, you know, horror movies. I mean, like a big influence on me, you know, uh, just as one of my favorite movies of like even the last 15 years, one of my favorite movies is uh, Shaun of the Dead. Okay. So, like, uh, you know, that sort of, the the character of Sean and and like the uh, his arc was always something that I just you know loved um, and like kind of felt that that was you know kind of like something that I would I would want to write in a way um, and just uh, you know set it like as an ensemble so it's kind of uh, you know a little bit like like the Big Chill or something where friends get together and they're kind of at a, a, a crucial point in their lives of you know, family and career and, you know, things aren't really happening for them in Hollywood, which was not unlike where we were at that point um, ourselves. So I just kind of, you know, did, wrote some characters for friends. And then we, uh, it took, it took me maybe two months to work on the, to figure out the story. Mm -hmm. And I was able to write the first draft pretty fast. I mean, because I was, you know, inspired and just kind of had more more time so i wrote the first draft in about three weeks and then um you know we did some revisions uh in june and then we were you know kind of started our fundraising and pre and pre-production right away and we started shooting it in august of 2012 the first week of august okay so so in um one of the great strengths of your film, for me, and it's interesting you mentioned that Shaun of the Dead was, was a big influence on you, is, is the fact that, like Shaun of the Dead, you, get, you, get the, you make the horror horror and the comedy comedy. You haven't, you haven't gone too far on the comedy that there's no horror in it, and you haven't gone too far on the horror that the comedy sort of gets diluted. You've managed to... And I, and I think that's always the, the, the tough call for any, any, anyone diving into the, the murky world of, uh, of, of horror comedy because I think sometimes it's, it's just, it, it can just be out and out one or the other. And quite often, the comedy tends to override the horror element. Um, so in that sense, what, what, were the, what were the storytelling challenges for you to sort of to establish that? I mean, there were a lot, and I mean, you know, like, it's kind of, it, as, definitely as a first movie, uh, you know, like, I, I look back and I say, oh, gosh, there's other things I wish I, you know, could have done or, or focused on, um, but, you know, one of, the, one of the things was, you know, I think we approached it, you know, it, and it was one of those tough things of learning as a, as a filmmaker, yeah. you know, to communicate your vision the best, uh, the best way, but it was like, you know, we kind of... I felt that, like, there was humor. I think, you know, that, that we had to focus, though, on where it was going to be in Act 3. At least that's kind of, like, in part of the casting process um, was how, you know, like, when when we lose these characters or when they're faced with death and they, you know, kind of have these, uh, their, their moments of... Uh, where, where they realize, like, realize that and realize they have to fight, like, are we going to be with them? Mm. You know, so we focus on the drama in some ways in casting. Um, and then the humor is like, I think, you know, the stuff that, that hopefully comes through to people is, you know, a lot of it is like, you know, the, the cast is funny and there's, uh, you know, they, um, you know, the people care about the characters or kind of understand where they're coming from, um, you know, because I think a lot of it is like, you know, the humor of, you know, kind of being bad at relationships or, uh, you know, struggling to find the right person or, you know, kind of being an ineffectual male, which is what a lot of the guys are. Um, you know, so like uh, I think with the, with 
with that, it was kind of, yeah, like hopefully the people are funny and the situations are relatable. And then with the horror, that was definitely more of a challenge because it was kind of trying to find ways to do some of the scenes, you know, with very little money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, very little, like, you know, it's like uh, a lot of it takes place during the day. Um, you know, so that's something, me personally, as a filmmaker, like I, I definitely would, would like to work on more and, and figure out. But I just thought, like, to me, the stuff that, that I was hoping to do was, like, the situation itself is horrific. So it's, like, these kind of, you know, comedic characters and the bad situation. And, like, uh, it's, like, some of this, the stuff that they have to do is just shocking to them anyway, you know. Or, mm. you know, smashing somebody's head in with a hammer or, you know, beating somebody with a baseball bat, you know. Uh, like, those kind of things I felt like hopefully that, that will come through. I mean, it's definitely definitely a challenge um, you know, and one that I that I kind of feel like I didn't quite quite pull off. But. Well, no, I, well, that's that's for you to that's for you to think about in terms of your bit of But I think I, I felt as a viewer that that certainly you had <clears throat> you had some really engaging characters. So the whole the whole ensemble was entertaining in of itself, even before the kind of horror starts to happen. And then what you've got, and I think this is the interesting thing about about doing something which is kind of based on an outbreak and then focusing on a small group of people within that wider outbreak is that the antagonist the antagonist isn't a, a one person is it not it isn't it isn't a knowing force that's strategically trying to get to the the protagonist it's it's a group of people faced with the growing realization that life and death is just the other side of the door now and ironically at a, at a baby shower, which obviously is a, is a moment where we're all meant to be celebrating the birth of new life, and and I guess it, it, like Shaun of the Dead did, I suppose, is the comedic effect is that none of us are really prepared for this in our sophisticated urban lives, and I thought you channeled that really well. Yeah, I think like one of the big things is you know especially you know like out here our existence of. You know, for the actor, it's, you know, many of them, you know, work at restaurants, you get auditions, auditions, everything, everything feels life or death. I mean, as a writer, you know, it's like you're, you're trying to, you know, sell a script or, you know, so it's like everything feels life or death. Uh, so that's why I kind of want to take, take that kind of feeling and then go like, well, what if you were really faced with, uh, with life or death, you know, and it's like, yeah, we're, we're not prepared, you know, and it's like, uh. You know, it's like, I think for me, even as a contrast, I have, you know, like, a lot of friends uh, that I grew up with or, you know, police or firefighters or military or in the medical profession, you know? So it's, like, funny that, like, they have, they're really dealing with this stuff, like, all the time, you know? <laughs> and then me, I, you know, I just, I sit in my pajamas at the computer and I, I think about it and write about it or something, you know? <laughs> so in that sense, then, when you, when you were translating the, um, the script to screen, then, and I, th- I think, judging from what you were saying, it was it was maybe some of the uh, the visual effects, or, or, or maybe the the action sequences that you wanted to uh, choreograph. But 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 what were what for you were the, the biggest challenges? Because I think I think in a way you'd you'd solved the biggest one, hadn't you? Because you obviously had the single location, which is a place where everyone can descend on. It was it kind of had enough it had it had enough land around it as your gardens and stuff. For people to spread out, but ostensibly, you you trap the people at the party, then you trap them in the disaster. Um, so you weren't having to run around town. So what was, you know, you if you were shoot, going through your page your page rate at a tremendous rate every day, what were the what were the main challenges to make sure you hit those page rates when you were translating script to screen? Well, I think you know one of the toughest things that you know, particularly for the actors, was we only did about one or two takes. Okay. Because we're just we were just going so fast, you know. So uh, so like we kind of just had to go unless there was a real technical flaw or something. Um, you know, it was just like we were, we were always behind. You know, it's funny. Our our first AD is also from the UK, uh, Chris uh, Smith, and you know he probably wanted to kill me. You know, most of the time just because yeah, it was like you know we're. We're trying to get stuff set up. He's like, you know, we're always about 90 minutes behind schedule or more, you know, and it's like, yeah. we got to get this, we got to get that, we're going to have to cut this if we, you know, and uh, <coughs> like kind of like on the fly, like going, okay, like, do I have 
if I get this and then I can cut to that, like then you know just can we piece this thing together? So I was I was trying to edit it in my mind as we were going and just go, okay, we're only going to get one or two takes, like you know, which you know in some cases that's great, you know, like there's a lot of there's great energy on the first take, um, but but yeah, so it was like we we're kind of just doing like a master and then a close up and a close up on the other actor or something and then moving on. Um, so I think, you know, that's, you know, it's in, in hindsight, yeah, it's tough for the actors because they kind of maybe discover something in the first take and then we're not really able to play that much, you know, but we kind of knew that going in that we we're going to have to go very fast. It was just, you know, making a movie for the first time. Everything's even faster than you think it is. You know, did you, did you have like, did, was you able to have a conversation with the actors to set those expectations or were those expectations realized sort of in the, in the heat of the moment, as it were? You know, um, in part of the like the pre-production process and working with the cast, we didn't say that it's going to be fast. You know, so we kind of like need everybody to be ready to go um, on the first take and right away. And there's probably not going to be a lot of chances to do to do different things. Um, you know, which I guess like you know, I mean, I've talked to friends who work in television, and that's kind of how it is in that case, too. They're not, you don't get multiple takes, really. Television, television is hilarious in comparison to film. It's sort of, yeah. it's, it's, it's like everything's like drag and drop. It's like, move everybody here, do the shot, move everybody here, do the shot. Film that film you get, even though film, even at low budget, can feel hurried, there's still an element of breathing that's allowed. Like you said, the actor's trying to get into the moment and stuff, and yeah, our friends who work in television just say, nope, it's like uh, sometimes they're so pushed they don't even do a, a rehearsal. They just shoot. Okay. You know, uh, they're doing it too. You know, so, yeah, it was one of those where I, I definitely think, like, you know, it was, it's a challenge. Like, one of those uh, experiences of it's like suddenly you're in, like, the, you know, the professional league and it's like, wow, this is a much faster game than, than even I thought it was going to be, you know. So you're kind of playing catch-up for a bit. Um, how, how do you how do you keep sight on the end goal? Because with this, you, you can't with the the logic of doing one two takes is that the bigger picture is we've got to shoot a whole movie and we haven't got much time. This isn't right. about we've got to shoot the perfect movie or I'm Stanley Kubrick, you know that kind of obsessional way of going about it. So how did you maintain the bigger picture while obviously well, seeing there must have been mine, minor opportunities? Thinking oh, it'd be great if we could just. And you're thinking, no, I've got to stop myself. I've got to keep moving on because the bigger picture is more important. Yeah, I mean, that was, it was really a balancing act. And you got to say, you know, it's like that's when, when it comes into having, um, I'm sorry, one second, Stuart. I, okay. My, my son is, okay. Let me just send some pictures. You, wanna, you can FaceTime. If you don't already subscribe to Ripflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. But anyway, in terms of like balancing that, it was like, you know, it's kind of a, it's a challenge, but it's also it can be frustrating um, to kind of, you just really like, you know, have to prioritize of like, what do we need here the most? Like, what, how can I tell the story you know, um, basically with like the least possible parts, you know, so that it doesn't all fall apart, yeah. you know, uh, when you're trying to put it together. So, you know, kind of even just as we were shooting something, you know, I would, you know, ask like the DP Harry Frith and, uh, you know, do we get that? Like, cause I was like, I feel like that could be in the movie. So if we got that, then I can piece the other things together that we, you know, um, you know, cause we didn't have time to watch even any playback, to see if we got it, you know? So it was like, just like, okay, we, we got to go to the next thing or whatever. So I think, uh, you know, it was definitely, it was one of those situations where I kind of feel like, you know, at moments, you know, you're like, ah, this is, this is crazy. This is too much. We're not getting it. Um, you know, and you just have to quiet those voices for a bit and <laughs> continue moving forward. And, you know, uh, like, as you know, I'm curious now, like, with the actors, like, if they would say, oh, you, you seem pretty stressed out, or, you know, I was trying to remain calm and, and supportive and just trying to figure it all out in my brain as we were, as we were going through it, you know, because you, you certainly don't want the cast to feel any pressure, <laughs> you know, their job is hard enough as it is, 
Um, you know, so I was like, hopefully, you know, I think I think it, it came out all right in that sense. You know, but yeah, there was a lot of a lot of interior monologue of like, just keep it together, or you know, are we getting this? This is you know. How how do you how do you use your use is the wrong word, but how do you get your first AD to sort of keep jibbing you along so you don't get sort of, you don't sink into the sort of details as opposed to the, the getting the film you, done. I, I had there was like a, you know there was one day in production maybe it was like the third day yeah where it was kind of like you know we were getting into some tougher things and even though it's like you know like the you know, in hindsight, like the first day was just kind of, you know, one of those, it's like, ah, gosh, the footage from the first day, like, you know, when you sit down to edit it, you're like, I, I would do this day all over. Mm-hmm. But like, but we were just, we, by the third day, we're really getting into uh, more of these group scenes where it's like, I'd written scenes with like, you know, nine or 10 actors in a, in a group scene, which was, you know, uh, it seemed fine when you're writing it, but then when you have everyone standing there and you're like, okay, where do we put the camera and how do we get this? You know, it, it we got bogged down a bit. Um, yeah, Je- Jeremy Saulnier talks about this on Green Room. You know, five or six people in a small room is fine for not having to move around, but to get all the coverage that you might possibly need yeah. is a lot of setting up, isn't it? And I mean, obviously, you're not moving very far, but you have to consider a lot of opportunities, don't you? And I think the same with... Um, I remember listening to the guy who did Whiplash. Apparently, like, the dinner party scene with the family mm-hmm. was a complete ball ache because, obviously, suddenly you're not... You're, you're having to make sure you've got coverage for all those... I guess, all the reactions, you know, and you might... Yeah. Obviously, you're not, you've not got that luxury you, by, what you've, by the sounds of things, but, but I guess, yeah, if you've got nine people coming up in a sequence, then you've then got to decide which is the most important, I suppose. Right, and that was, def- so that was definitely a challenge of, uh, you know, something, because, like, the pre-production, we ended up, like, having to raise more funds than we anticipated and, okay. and things that uh, it became that, you know, fundraising, you know, it's, like, basically, it's, like, you know, obviously just a full-time job, you know? Yeah. So it was, like, there was things that I was, like, oh, you know, I wanted to kind of research movies like, uh, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing uh, and see kind of just, like, some... How he how he did things and and uh, you know so I after shooting the movie I read uh, a biography of his and he said that when he when he was shooting the thing and he came in and he's like oh there's a dozen actors and they all have speaking lines in this in these scenes he's like what did I do to myself <laughs> and, you know he was able to figure it out you know so. Uh, I think that was definitely uh, something I was like, yeah, I would have, I would have liked to be better prepared for those moments. But you know, we did have, you know, my my DP uh, Harry Frith is, you know, really hardworking guy. Uh, you know, his his camera crew and like everyone just, you know, kind of was ready ready to go. And and you know, um, so we kind of just went with it and did what we could. It was it was, uh, you know, people worked really hard. So was was the practicalities of or impracticalities probably the better word of shooting in a real house, did that force your hand in, ter- in terms of the constraints you had to work with? Yes, well, you know, it was funny because it was just, you know, like, uh, we, you know, I mean, you can't move walls, like, yeah, you know, yeah. you anything like that. Uh, it was, um, you know, like, I think there's probably, there's also benefits of just, like, you get used to the space then, and, like, uh, there's kind of, like, a flow to, you know, somebody walks from this room to the other room. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, it was, I, you know, I'd be curious. I, I do kind of think, like, it would be nice to if to either have, you know, more of a, either a set or just, like, um, one, of the, one of the things, you know, because it was just, it's like our friend's house. You know, they were going to do um, a rebuild on it, a remodel. Um so it was an empty house. Ah, you know, okay, okay. things in, um, you know, to to kind of make it like a a house, you know. But I don't know if you'll notice it's kind of it's just like rented furniture and brought in furniture, and uh, you know, you there's, there's... As, as 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 a as a random member of the audience, I didn't notice those no. kind of things. I mean, it looked like a it looked like a lived-in house to me. Yeah. Good. But like yeah, so it was even like you know one bedroom doubled as uh, two different bedrooms. We would just we would just move the bed to a different wall, and uh, we had reversible sheets. So that <laughs> <laughs> that's a good. It's one bedroom. It was this, and there's another bedroom. 
I think it was probably Stephanie Toby, one of our producers and actors. I think she she did a lot of the the decorating. You know, so yeah, that was a good idea to have reversible sheets. One of my one of my favourite uh, sort of images and, and sort of moments, I guess, from from the film is um, is the clown, I suppose. Um, so where where the, the, the you know he 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 kind of. I seem to remember he's the he's the guy who we sort of get to learn the most, I suppose. And there's a kid as well, isn't there? Of mm-hmm. as to what what these. And that's actually let's 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 rewind a second. Uh, you've mentioned Shaun of the Dead, um, and obviously that's a zombie film. The film's called L.A. Contagion. Now you've not used the word zombie yet in description <laughs> of your film. What what are you? What are they? You said there's something turning people into psychopaths. Did you say? I think in your main right. Name? Basically, yeah, I, I view them not as zombies, but as infected. Okay. You know, because they're, they're living. Okay. Uh, you know, so it's like, uh, so kind of maybe more like the crazies, you know, or even, uh, you know, 28 days later. Got you, you know, got you, got you. So it's like, yeah, so they're they're infected. It's something. Yeah, these people can move move normal speed, can't they? And... Right, and they can still speak, you know, and everything yeah. up to, to a certain point. Um, you know. I guess, you know, it's like, even then, you know, like, uh, zombies have been done so much, and I love the zombies, uh, you know, like, you know, The Walking Dead and, and Zombieland and Shaun of the Dead, um, you know, uh, but I kind of felt that it was like the the idea of infection, you know, like, appealed to me in that way of it's kind of, you know, dealing with something more uh, like in our everyday lives, you know, like this fear whether, you know, it's like of terrorism, of tainted meats or, you know, whatever, kind of use that, um, use that thing. And also then it also became a way of, it's like, you know, from a practical perspective, yeah, like we weren't going to do zombie makeup, but it also kind of lets the actors play around and you don't know when somebody's infected or not, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if they are infected and if they're going to turn, um, which like I'd say is kind of like a funny thing of like Los Angeles living it's like you don't know who you can really trust, you know, in some ways. You know, <laughs> you're good friends, but you never know. I mean, everyone's kind of like looking for, you know, who's the most important person I should talk to, whether, you know, whether you're a guy or a girl or, you know, dating. It's kind of all like, uh, you know, there's there's kind of in the back of your mind this thing of like we're, it's like a dog-eat-dog world, you know. No, I mean, I must admit, I've, been, I've only been the one time, but I did get the, did get the incredible sense that, the idea of going out for a drink with anybody, if it wasn't related in any way, shape, or form to networking or directly to do with work, mm-hmm. was a, was almost like a no-no. I don't mean that anyone said they wouldn't do it, but the right. idea of going out just for the sake of going out is is a very rare thing. Right. It's like, what can you do for me? Uh, or what, or, or like, even what can I do with my time? It's not. I mean, I don't mean it as such that everyone's out to get. It's just like obviously time's finite. So and, and right. get, getting around LA is bloody horrible, isn't it? At the best of times. So, yeah. No. I mean, uh, it's funny. There's a remember you know the movie Swingers, like where the the girl asks John Favreau's car, like, "What kind of car do you drive?" I do feel like that's kind of accurate, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, the answer tells you everything you need you need to know if you need to know something. You know, it's like it's. Yeah. If, if, yeah. you say, if you say one thing, it's, it's, it still might, it might be high-end, but it still might put you off. <laughs> yeah. Now then, yeah. you, mentioned, you mentioned your pregnant wife at the time mm-hmm. was, was, in, was in the film. Now, you know, now, before we started, you were beginning to tell me a story about how that impacted on the shoot. So do you want to regale the listeners with, with how that mapped out? Because uh, obviously the ticking, the ticking bomb, as it were, of a child uh, yes. to be born was, was, was a deadline you put on yourself to make the movie. But... The child did not wait. No, she did not wait. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, my wife Rachel was due September 15th. Yeah. Now, when we started the process, because the script was basically done in May. Yeah. And we kind of thought we could start shooting in June, July at the latest. Um, because, you know, we thought the production was going to cost a bit less than, than what it ended up costing like even less i mean it didn't cost very much but or in relative terms uh but we once we found out that we had to fundraise that that took a lot of that basically added a month to the process um or more maybe six weeks 
And uh, so we started shooting on August 2nd. And uh, we planned an eight-day shoot. Um, and on the morning of August 9th, which was our seventh day of production, which is already at that point, we'd been going too fast. So I knew, like, we weren't getting certain things. Uh, Rachel told me that morning, you know, it was like 6 a.m., and I was going over the shot list for the day before heading to the set. And she said, what, what happens if I go into labor today? <laughs> and I was like, you know, she's like, can we shoot my scenes somehow really fast? And, and I was like, no, no, we can't. Like, what, do you, what do you mean? The baby's not due for six weeks, you know, five, five six weeks. And, uh, you know, she knew, I guess. You know, she said she had a dream uh, that she was at the hospital, you know, wow. ready to give birth. So, uh, so it was kind of like in the back of my mind as I was driving to set. And then, uh, yeah, she went and, uh, you know, got her makeup done. And when she got out of the chair, her water broke. Blimey. Uh, so then our, our makeup artist, Ricky Techner, came out to the backyard where I was setting up a, a shot, and uh, she said, the water broke. And, and I thought they meant the water in the house broke, like a pipe had burst. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, you're, you're in full film mode, so obviously right, everything, well, problems are just to do with the practicalities of the shoot. <laughs> right. And I was like, well, we had, like, some problems with, like, the air conditioning, I guess, during during the shoot in the house. So, like, you know, the AC could be on when we weren't shooting, but then, you know, it's too loud. Like, you know, we were shooting in the valley in Los Angeles, so it was, like, you know, summertime. It was over 100 degrees every day. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was just, like, one of these. So, I was, you know, I said, did we call a plumber? And she said, no, your wife's water broke. Um, so, you know, so that was kind of a crazy moment, obviously, and... Uh, you know, we, um, I told Chris the first idea. So we had everybody there. I was like, let's, you know, you're in charge. Like, try and get what you can for the rest of the day. Um, you know, and then, you know, we drove to the hospital. You know, so it was, the baby was born, uh, Isabel. Yeah. Uh, she was, uh, she was 34 weeks and a few days. So it was a little early. The doctors, you know, kind of gave us all this talk of, like, everything that could go wrong and, and stuff. So that was definitely a moment i was like what did i do why did i make this movie but uh but you know everything you know she was okay she was just you know she was six pounds at birth so that was good and uh you know we just ended up staying in the hospital a little bit longer um but then so we had to take a month off just to kind of recover um and then you know we weren't sure if that would just ruin the movie yeah because like can we pull it all back together um you know, and fortunately, you know, we were able to. Like, with our location, we were fortunate. And just with the cast and crew, we were able to go back and, and shoot for two more days. Um, but it also allowed me to look through some of the footage we had and realize, okay, the things that we didn't get that I thought we needed, I was able to at least go back and get a few of those things. Uh, we just kind of crammed them in into the already very full days, that the last two days of, of shooting. Um, so that was, you know, I... I joked to Izzy that she saved the movie in, in many ways. <laughs> uh, doing that, it you know ended up costing a little bit more, but uh, but we needed to get that footage, <laughs> and uh, and then you know what you know as as is with kind of like uh, these ultra low budget movies. As we were editing, we also realized like you know we needed more, so we would just pick up things here and there um, through the course of like the next basically nine months or so, you know, and just to kind of add to the movie because we realized there was a lot of things that just to tell the story, how we did, that, that it wasn't, you know, we needed more. Can you, can you give an example of a pickup you had to do that wasn't there? Sort of, is there is like a big example in the movie that, that, you, that, that you needed to do? I think one of the biggest was uh, towards the end, there's a, a fight in the backyard between two of the main characters. Yeah. And... We had maybe 10% of that from the principal photography. Right, and I just, okay. Like, well, this is nothing. I was like, there's nothing I can do with this. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Um, so we just went back, you know, with the two actors and kind of had them roll around a bit in the grass, you know, and uh, struggle over a knife and, and things. Uh, that, no, you know, what, what you described there, though, I see that a lot in, in low-budget horror is that there'll be a key sequence, but it'll be a long one-camera shot, so a lot going on, 
but it's really boring to watch. I mean, it's not like... I don't mean that formalist cinema can't be interesting, but quite often it's, it's within the realms of a traditional movie, so we can't rely on the form to help us. So you want the, 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 the storytelling strengths of what cinema's meant to do, which is we need to get in, don't we? Like, for a fight scene, you need to get into it. You can yeah. still come out and do the mid-shot, but... You don't want to just watch a film from one mid shot, do you? <laughs> I mean, watch well, a fight. Yeah, unless you know, unless it's like John Wick. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. like phenomenal action, uh, you know, which you know we we were not able to get. You know, if you like, you know, one of my favorite movies of like, like the Raid or something. You know, if you can do like the Raid and have phenomenal action, like you want to see everything, you know. But not when it's like you know a couple of uh, actors who aren't trained stunt people. You know, you don't have the 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 budget or anything to kind of shoot it and that way so it's like all right let's try and be as creative as possible and cut into it and get different things just so that you know when you add in music and and hopefully the performances it becomes like a you know it seems like a real fight anyway yeah no no well, no and, and again you know as a as a random member of the audience i was i was convinced um so so let's let's um let's think about this let's remind people then so if um if they're in the UK, they can see LA Contagion. How? Well, it's on. It's in the Sky Store. It's uh, on iTunes, on Amazon. Um, you know, those are probably our three biggest outlets. Okay, okay, right. and that's through Grim Entertainment. And then, obviously, for any of the, for the for the few USA listeners, it's they're looking for Killer Party. And how can they get it? Also, yeah, iTunes. Uh, you know, I think Directv. Um, you know, we have uh, Amazon and uh, Voodoo. I'm not sure if you have Voodoo in the UK. We don't. No, no, no. Yeah, that's uh, one of the online platforms. Okay, so let's now. We're in. We're, uh, now we're not on the release date. It's been out for a while in the UK. When did it get its release date? It was um, end of August, actually. August 2016. So yeah. that's that's two years after you and I met at New Orleans Horror Film Festival where you were screening the, the as it was originally titled the shower then. Um, mm-hmm. So, now, you told me before we started that, that that was the end of your kind of film festival run with the movie. You know, you, yes. you had a few more, you kind of pitted out to sort of your final thing you were showing at was what, January 2015? Yes. And in that period, what, did you, did you get a few, did you get some gongs along the way, sort of festivals, audience Awards, best film, and all that. Best, any, any? Do you pick up some laurels along the way? Yeah, we picked up. You know, so we played. We played at a, it was a little more than a dozen festivals. Okay. Uh, you know, we won a couple best features. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one was at Nevermore, which is in uh, North Carolina, a great festival. Yeah. Uh, and then we. Um, we won a like a, a best comedy award in, in uh, Fright Night in Louisville. Um, we won like a best feature at the Cedar Rapids Independent Film Festival, which is in Iowa. And then uh, our last festival was uh, Macabre Fair Film Festival in Long Island, New York. And uh, we um, we won best feature at that one as well. And then one of the things you know it was nice at some other festivals. We also won uh, like for best cast, like ensemble. Okay, you know, cool. That's a, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's that must be quite gratifying. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Now, now, for, for, now, thinking about that, that those twelve festivals, and then the time. I mean, one for the layperson listening. Obviously, a festival is about trying to garner some some of reputation for your film, isn't it? Get some eyeballs on it, and hopefully, you're hoping to get what? Is it just is it distribution and sales or? Yeah, I think that's the thing. You know, it's like you need some kind of credibility. So, you know, the festivals provide you, you know, it's like, you know, if you get in or not, you know, there's definitely plenty of rejections. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, uh, yeah, it helps you find an audience, helps you meet other filmmakers, uh, other writers who, you know, have been, for us, completely instrumental in finding distribution. Like we found both our, our U.S. and U.K. distribution uh, directly from people we met at festivals, you know. So it's like, uh, I guess it's basically referrals. Then, you know, mm. um, you know, we reach, we, you reach out to a lot of different places, um, but it kind of, you know, like in, in 
both instances for both the U.S. and the U.K., the ones that we, we really loved, um, were, were direct referrals from, from festivals. So, like, uh, we played at Motor City Nightmares in Detroit, and uh, uh, somebody we met there recommended us to our U.S. distributor, Epic Pictures, and then uh, we found our U.K. distribution because of a guy named Stuart Wright, who we met in uh, <laughs> I, just, I mean, just, I mean, it's funny the way you describe how we met, because I wasn't that conscious of it, because I, I was just a ball of nervous energy at a festival. But I think the way you described it, I think anyone going to a festival on their own shouldn't be afraid to go on their own, I think, is the way, the way you describe how you kind of found your feet. I, I mean, right. into other ones. But just, just tell that story again for, 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 the, for the podcast, what you said that happened for you. Yeah, so basically, you know, we, I flew down to New Orleans... Um, you know, it was a, it was a Friday night. So they, you know, GT who runs the festival, they, they'd done a mixer the night before on Thursday for, uh, you know, attending filmmakers. Um, but I was able to make that. So I didn't know anybody. Mm. And then, uh, when I arrived on Friday, the, you know, the session had already started. I came in and, you know, I think, you know, watched a feature, um, and then they just had like a kind of fun situation in the parking lot where people were drinking beers and talking and, and things. And uh, I was like, I don't know anybody here. Um, everyone seems to know each other. You know, it was kind of like one of those like school nightmares in some ways. <laughs> okay, you're an adult now. Uh, you know, just go talk to some. Go go join a group conversation. So I saw a couple guys talking. You know, uh, about screenwriting. And uh, I just kind of, like, positioned myself, like, right in front of you guys. It was, like, you and Simon Herbert and uh, Gregory Fishwick. And, uh, you know, stood there for a moment or two, and you guys acknowledged me right away. You didn't keep me hanging. And so, you know, uh, introduce yourselves, introduce myself. And, uh, yeah, we just hit it off, and we're talking. And we ended up being the last, the last men standing that evening. We did indeed. It was it was a good evening. It was a good evening, and 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 you know, and that changed from there. Then not long after, then I interview Sim, Simeon Halligan, who's part of Grim Entertainment, for um, for his film White Settlers on a previous edition of the podcast, and that becomes the network that then becomes. I say, I he asked me, do I know any? If I know of any films, tell him, and you're looking, and that's how the hookup happens. It's nothing. I mean. You know, it's not magic, and it, and and it offers no guarantees. But but obviously, referrals are always the way with us indie lot, isn't it? Is is how we've got to work. It's our be, it's our best stock in trade, isn't it? If friends of friends recommend their friend, it's always a lot easier to to take on yeah. board, isn't it? It's basically, I think how how everything works. I think <laughs> you you're know? right. Yeah, it's just all yeah. small. it just gets to be bigger versions, doesn't it? Right. So it's like, you know, so, yeah, definitely, you know, coming from a, a writing background, it's harder in many cases to kind of be that person who goes and, you know, is, is you know, introduce yourself and do all that. And it's, it, gets, it gets easier as you go to more festivals and, and practice it more um, and have a couple of pints or whatever, you know, too. So but, but you, but you, I mean, I, I, I think what you're saying, and, and, I, and I would tend to agree, is that no matter how difficult you think, the social situation, and people might mistake me talking on a podcast as being someone who just, you know, floats in and out of rooms. I, I go to a lot of stuff on my own, and I do exactly what you do. You, you kind of hang around, you look for people that you might get on with or you might get in with and you try and join conversations. And, you know, not everyone wants to join a conversation, but you will find your brethren, and, and it always ends up being worth it. And, you know, even if it's just a somebody recommends you a film, you know, it doesn't have to be a lifetime friendship, but I always find there's value in it. Oh, definitely. I mean, like, uh, yeah, it's, you know, because there's a lot, of, it is like, you're almost like a traveling salesman when you go to these festivals, you know, like, <laughs> you're staying in a hotel and, you know, like, so it's like, you kind of have to, you know, it's like, and it just, it just makes sense to, to, Talk to people because I learned so much, you know, uh, just from from meeting people at the festivals too. It's like you really are kind of on this uh, journey together of independent filmmaking, um, so you can support each other's work. As it goes, you know, you learn what their experience was. Uh, you, you know, you can share yours. Uh, you know, who to work with. Uh, just kind of like different things to try 
in terms of marketing your movie, everything. You know, it's been it's it's really been like a huge a huge help for the movie, just in terms of, of exposure, everything. It's like, you know, really having good good connections with the people at at festivals. Yeah. You know? I think that's a really I mean I think also and that's to remind everyone that obviously making a film, one film is always essentially the equivalent of starting a new business. And people might well think there are hundreds of films, but actually every single film is an investment opportunity, is a chance to sell tickets, is a chance to make a profit. So in a way, being a travelling salesman is not a bad analogy as well for the notion of trying to get a film attention. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like, you know, I think the, uh, the, the dream or the fantasy, really, of, uh, that I had and probably every independent filmmaker has is that, you know, your movie uh, is snapped up right away. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, you play at Sundance or something, and it's like, you know, there's a bidding war for your movie, and and that happens to you know, I don't know, point zero one percent or something of movies, and everybody else has to scratch and claw. You know, so you kind of learn that as you go through, and it's like, uh, you know, it's 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 a long road. Um, you know, and then yeah, like it's just it's like you really, you know, as a as an independent filmmaker, you'll take something you know from you know, from the initial idea all the way out to uh, learning the business side of, of kind of getting it released, you know, and everything that goes into it. It's like nobody's going to take it off your hands and let you, uh, you know, you move on to the next thing. It's like you really have to, like, see it all the way through. So what, what, was, what do you think was the, in terms of eating up time from that kind of, like, from, if you think about the moment when I saw you, so there you have mm-hmm. got a finished film, you're showing it, and you're looking yeah. for someone to distribute and sell the movie. Um, what in that time period I mean obviously it wasn't like you're constantly on the phone trying to get people onto it but was it just a case of finding people who were coming forward and saying we want to work with you or was it constant or was it a job of of, of going have you seen the movie would you like to see the movie have you seen the movie would you like to see the movie you know until you found someone that went yes we like it let's partner right we we started actively seeking distribution right around the time that I met you because it was full. We felt like, okay, now we had, we had some laurels and awards. Um, you know, we, we honestly probably could have started the process earlier, but we, um, we started it then because we actually like the version that you saw in, in, um, New Orleans was, was kind of like, uh, more of like the final version of the movie. We, we had rushed to make our, our world premiere at Shriek Fest back in October of 2013. Okay. Uh, so, like, there was some things that kind of, like, you know, we, we were able to change after screening there and screening at a couple other festivals. So it was really, that was, like, the final version. And then we, we just started reaching out to people. Um, and, yeah, it's like, you know, we, we did have opportunities right away. We ended up settling on someone pretty quickly, oh, at least okay. by, the, by the end of 2014. We knew who we were going with. Um, but then the delivery process ended up taking a very long time. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so that was, it almost took, it, it was not until August of 2015 that we had a, like a QC movie past QC. Okay. So what, what's that mean then for those, what, what does that mean you had to get the film to? So you've got a film you're showing, and then there's a film that's ready to be distributed. So right. what, what so happens to the movie then? So the first thing we had to do was we had to for you know finish our sound design, basically. It's like the, a filled M&E, um, which you know, we had to do that first. And it's basically the movie you know, where they, they separate the dialogue track, and then all the, all the ambient sounds and sound effects are, are added in okay. uh, later. Um, so we did that. And then basically, you know, we, we worked through a company here in Los Angeles that, so that it's like broadcast quality, like any sound and picture things, you know, that needs to be worked on. They kind of go and they give you a report and tell you, um, what are potential problems. Okay. That's interesting. So, so that was kind of a lengthy process. I mean, when, you know, I think with anything, you know, it's like if the more money you have, the faster you can do things. So when of you course, don't have, of course. Uh, you know, it kind of takes more time and, and uh, you know, people are 
basically doing favors for you in a lot of cases, or doing it you know on their weekends or evenings. And obviously that's and that's also what you're doing as well, aren't you? You're you're running to a standstill. You've got a new baby, and yeah. <laughs> you know all the realities of life. Yeah. So basically, you know, there was that. You know, we we passed the QC. And then, you know, part of the other delay was just kind of when does the movie come out? You know, like there's different windows um, of like, you know, when should something come out? And, uh, you know, so we also just kind of like had to find, you know, with our distributor and everything, like the right the right time um, in their schedule, you know, also for it to come out. So, so, yeah, in some cases it doesn't take as long, or most cases maybe. Because we had distribution, it was just kind of, you know, if they have another movie coming out, then they're not going to put, in, for them, you know, two movies out in the same month or, you know, whatever, so... Uh, okay, okay, so just, just you know, the harsh realities of the marketplace then come into play, even though you've got yeah. all the other ingredients ready. That's, that makes yeah. perfect sense. So, finally then, what would what would you say, for, for, the, for, the, for the filmmaker going into their first feature now, mm-hmm. apart from be ready for your wife to have a baby... Right. Um, what other lessons learned? What, 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 what major lesson learned would you pass on to, to to filmmakers that you sort of won't be repeating when you make your next film? Yeah, I think you know. Well, I would say uh, one of the one of the first ones is starting with the script. Yeah. Don't write too many characters. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. No. Got I just saw I just saw a very good um, independent film that. Uh, a buddy of mine made called Donald Cried, okay. uh, which is now playing here in the U.S. and it's been uh, it's been kind of showcased by like uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and Jody Hill through their company. So they're getting a nice uh, kind of independent uh, theatrical release. Nice one. Uh, but you know, basically, you know, it's mostly that movie is just two guys, you know, and there's other scenes where there's more characters, but most of the movie's two guys, and uh, you know, particularly, yeah, it's like I think. You know, like I would definitely look at at my character count and try and try and keep things down. I mean, even you know, that's one one thing that will help you as a as a first time filmmaker, independent filmmaker. Um, I think, you know, uh, you know, there's all different challenges in terms of like knowing knowing what you want and what you can get within the time. So it's like it, okay, it would definitely okay. help if you're if you've done you know like i you know i hadn't really done a, a short film or anything before that so it was like a lot of learning on the first thing so i think you know the more familiar you are or like if you're if you're going to shoot some tests like do do what you can to kind of see that blows my mind that you so you hadn't made a short film you were you just done right you obviously written feature scripts you were writing you're being the writer and then the the this director thing what mushroomed out of you as it were to get that was like the solution to getting a film made as much as right. a desire to be a director yeah, you know, it was kind of, and that's like another thing in hindsight. I was like, I originally thought the idea for that summer would just be do a film festival quality short. And I don't know, I guess because I couldn't, you know, I, I hadn't really written a short film that it just seemed like, I was like, ah, you know what, for the budget now with the digital cameras and everything, it's like, why don't we, why don't we just do a feature? You can do a feature for the, you know. And, Alex, uh, you know. Alex, you're an inspiration to us all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I know. So, so yeah, so basically, uh, you know, that's something else. I think, like, the idea of um, whether it's storyboarding or, uh, you know, kind of video store, storyboarding, maybe during a rehearsal process, I think that, that, that would all be great, too. Um, so that's, a lot of that sounds like just sort of prepping and setting expectations. Give yourself, give yourself plenty of pre-production time. Our pre-production time was spent fundraising. You know, because, again, we were like, we, we had, like, this idea that the baby's going to come. So, uh, so that was kind of... No, you know, I mean, like I'm not interested in figures, but, but, um, yeah. but, but when you say fundraising, what, were you crowdfunding or going to investors? Yeah, yeah well, no, we, we basically, you know, it's friends and family, and we did, like, uh, through PayPal. Okay. We didn't do Kickstarter or Indiegogo because, one, you know, they take a, a bigger cut, and then two, um, we didn't feel that anyone that was going to be donating to the movie was somebody that we didn't know. Oh, okay, so okay. I give away an extra, you know, five or seven percent, um, you know, when when it wasn't we weren't asking strangers for money. Got you, got you, know? you got you. Um, so essentially, there was there was that element of 
implicit trust between everybody involved, even those that weren't actively making the film, but were just chipping in to help get the film made. Yeah, no, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't exist. Like, it's like, even the costs, you know, like, it, everything costs way more than you think it's going to cost. Um, I guess unless you've done a movie before, then you know what it's going to cost. <laughs> give, us, give us an example, then, of something that you... Can tell you I can tell you the price of wild salmon, but I can't tell you how much a movie costs, at least at that point. Now I can't. What, you know. give, give, me, give me an expense of the film that you weren't anticipating that was a bit of a shock to the system. Our largest expense was sound. Get out of town, really? Yeah, post-production sound uh, Okay. Uh, ended up being the largest expense in the movie. Um, and why was that? Because of when, when you did that quality control stuff, the issues they, wrote, they brought up needed more than just simply equalizing. No, well, it's just it's just kind of the process. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's like L.A. prices or whatever, you know. But uh, but it's like just the basic sound design and stuff of any movie, and you know, costs a good good amount. Like we basically got favors from everybody too, you know. So like our yeah, color correct yeah, yeah. was was a friend, you know, of one of our actors who gave us a good price. So it's like, uh, but yeah, our, our two biggest costs were uh, sound, and then and then the like the SAG. Actor costs, you know. Okay, got you. Um, but right. but yeah, sound right. is the big. Okay, well let's let's wrap things up now. Um, have you got any any new irons in the fire that we can know about, or is 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 it all just under wraps at the minute? Um, I mean, well, basically, you know, I'm I'm working on uh, like a, a TV pilot right now. Okay. That's also kind of in the horror comedy realm. So uh, and that's just on spec. So we'll see if I can. Uh, get that out there and then um from the feature writing side i mean there's a couple things i'm working on you know that uh one is is also a horror comedy like a teen uh high school horror comedy um that that you know needs kind of one more at least one more uh rewrite and then i uh, hope to get that out there and then uh and another feature i have like you know we'll see how it goes but uh it's a it's an action comedy that actually um, you know like that I was going to turn into a pilot, but then somebody came along and wanted to option it. So hopefully uh, maybe we'll, there'll be something with that. You know, but but you know right now it's like particularly like what I've found for myself. Uh, you know, after doing one you know very low budget movie is there's like there's definitely a lot of opportunities in TV mm-hmm. right now. Um, so uh, you know so I'm gonna I'm gonna explore those opportunities right now and see, and then like maybe uh, one thing I was thinking, maybe possibly doing a short film, uh, you know, which I don't have, I haven't written anything yet, but just like uh, to direct something again Mm. this year, but maybe just focus on doing a short film as opposed to a feature. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, let's, let's remind everybody then in the UK, the film's called LA contagion. That's what they should be looking for. And how can they watch that? So yeah, the Sky Store, iTunes, Amazon. I think those are those are our big ones. Cool. Uh, and, it, and in the states, it's the title's Killer Party. You want to be looking for, and I, yep. and I, I guess the same roots plus what? Yeah, I think like uh, Direct TV, Vudu, you know, the iTunes, Amazon. Um, I mean, it's on, you know, also like uh, Google Play and, and different things as well. Brilliant. We have a website. Uh, Go on. You know, Killer Party Movie. Dot com where, where you can find that information, information about the cast. And uh, I'll also plug my, my blog, which was about making the movie, where I go into things in a little more depth. Uh, it's uh, waiterdirector.com. Okay, well, we'll put those links in the in the show notes of the podcast. Cool. Well, look, it only means for me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast. You've been more than generous. No, thank you for having me. And thank you, like I said, you know, it's like uh, for, for hooking us up with Grim in the UK, you know, it's like, uh, you've just been so generous, you know, uh, kind of with, with your support of the movie and, and, uh, advice as, as we were kind of, uh, marketing it and everything. So it's like, yeah, you've been a huge help to me too as well. So thank you for all that you do for, uh, for independent filmmakers. My pleasure. My pleasure. God, I mean, I don't think of it. I just, you know, it's, it's just, you know, if it, if it seems like common sense then I'll point it in that direction. <laughs> No, thanks. No, it's it's huge. I mean, the the podcast and everything. I mean, like you, you know, you you really put a lot of thought into what we do, and uh, you know, it, it means a lot um, that that you, you that you care, you know, and 
Uh, nice one. No, thank you very much. Let's hope let's get the word out there because we need it, you know. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com.